There's a scarlet thread that runs through scripture, a thread of redemption and of hope. From the dawn of creation to the return of Jesus, the story of the saving God unfolds. Let us follow this thread, allowing the truth of God's grace, God's mercy, God's promise of rescue to sew our broken souls into the fabric of his promises. Let us wonder at his encounters, marvel at his majestic power, and be overwhelmed by his attention to detail. Mostly, let us be captivated by his relentless passion to redeem the rebel race and reclaim us into his family. God created man in his image, and man fell into sin. The curse was spoken, and all mankind was then fallen, and he could not get up. But God, the most profound statement one can utter, but God stepped into our fallen state and promised a rescue. The covenant maker gave us an eternal promise that he would come for us. In the garden, the curse was spoken that he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. But in the curse was the promise. Come and see the promises of God. Well, hello, church. I'm Scott Weatherford, and we're continuing this series on the promises of God, looking at the, the promises of God that he wove throughout the Old Testament and how it came to fruition in King Jesus, and that will conclude on Easter Sunday. Speaking of Easter Sunday, we're in the works of planning some different things for our Easter Sunday experience. I had a pastor talk to me the other day. He said, maybe some of the mega church pastors ought to get together and postpone Easter till June. And I thought that was rather ridiculous. They're not some kind of you know, council of cardinals that can make a decision about the ecclesiastical calendar. But we're going to have Easter and we're going to celebrate the resurrected Lord Jesus. So we will do that in an innovative, creative way. You know, there are times when I read scripture, it just jumps out at me that the thought, the truth just kind of resonates in my soul deeper than other times. And one of those passages of scripture well, I've read it hundreds of times, but then one day, kind of in the fullness of time, it jumped out at me and I caught it and it's found in Psalm 90, the only Psalm written by Moses, the wanderer. And today we're going to talk about Moses' promise with God, the covenant promise of the Mosaic covenant. Now, some people, when I say Mosaic covenant, you quickly shift to the legalism of the law, but there's more to this covenant promise with Moses than just the law that was given to Moses and the promise was given to Moses actually supersedes the law of Moses. But let me read this passage for you. Throughout all the generations, you have been our home. I find it amazing that a guy that spent most of his adult life on the run from a legal matter or leading a vast host of former slaves into a wilderness would make the declaration that God was his home. It seems that Moses was in the relentless pursuit of the hope of God to put people in the promised land, the possession of God, but he realized all along that his hope, his promise was not found in a location or a vocation or a piece of property. It was found in God himself, that God was and is the promise. And as we take a closer look at this call of God, this promise of God, this man on a mission from God, We'll see how, like found in Abraham and found in Adam and found in Noah, Moses was defined by his faith. 
And his faith led him to obedience and resulted him of claiming the promise and the promise of God. God keeps his promises, period. When God said it, he settles it, and that's done. We also discovered the events of the ancient days are not unlike our days. In fact, I kind of laughed. I was looking at the plagues of Egypt, and we're kind of in the plagues of America, actually the plagues of the world. This coronavirus has got the whole world flipped upside down. Can you imagine what the plagues of Egypt did to the people there? Were they sheltering in place? And obviously, when the last plague came, the angel of death, the Hebrews definitely were sheltering in place with blood on the doorpost that the angel of death may pass over. And so the similarities of those plagues and the similarity of the condition we find ourselves in today is a little bit unnerving. But God is still God, and God still wants his people to live on his promises and his faithfulness, and he wants us to respond in faith and not fear, and to have hope and not hopelessness. And so like Moses, we're going to discover that the promises of God are to fully be at home with God. Not too terribly long ago, I made a return visit to my home. Uh, my home, 89 Aurora Street, Valparaiso, Florida, the place that I grew up, the place that my parents lived together and loved together. And from the time I was about four until that present, this present day, 89 Aurora, Valparaiso, Florida, is what I would consider home. My brother lives there now, but that was home. And I went there and I realized that this home was the only really stable thing in my life. Tara and I have rather been vagabonds over the last oh, 12, 13 years. We've moved several times. We've gone to several places, to Canada, to Florida, to Canada, to Alabama, to Texas, uh, and to you guys here. And so to not having the certainty of home has been a little unsettling. And going back there, I had such fond memories of home, uh, of my mama in the kitchen, my daddy in his recliner watching Fox News incessantly, my, uh, my little kids, my little Caleb and my little Kayla, Kayla running backwards and hitting her head on the wall and cutting it open, having stitches, or Kayla and her father sitting on a, a swing in the backyard with the swing collapsing under the weight of her father and, and thus cutting her head again. So in six months period, she had stitches twice at grandma's house, and I'm surprised I didn't get a visit from social services wondering what in the world's going on. But all these memories flooded back, the memories of bringing Tara there to meet my parents for the first time, uh, the memories of hearing my parents read scripture aloud every night and praying before they went to sleep, the, the memories of my mother floating around the house like some ghostly creature in her flowing nightgown as she would not sleep and she would constantly check on the well-being of her children, being startled many times with her coming to make sure my heart was still beating while I was lying in bed until I started locking my door. It's a little creepy, but anyway, that was my mama. And all these memories came flooding back to me. And then reading this passage, I have to realize that even in my vagabond journeys, God is my home. It's not 89 Aurora Street, Valparaiso, Florida. It's God who's my home. In fact, I say this a lot, that where Terry is, there my home is, and, and really I love Terry with all my heart and life, but she's not really my home. God is my home, and one day Terry and I will be gathered together at home with God. And to see these promises of God come true are amazing. And Moses said these things, but he said these things predicated on the promise that God had made. 
that God had made first in the garden that he said, when he said, he will strike your head and you will bruise his heel, that promise made to Adam and the woman regarding the serpent, regarding the defeating of Satan that would happen on the cross of Christ, that promise drove Moses on. Not knowing in fullness what that promise was, it still drove him ahead. So today we're going to look at this guy named Moses. We're going to see who he was as a man. And we've been tracking the promises of God, starting with Abraham, the Edemic covenant, and then to Noah, the Noahic covenant, Abraham, last week's talk, the Abrahamic covenant. And now we're going to look at Moses, then David, and then of course on Easter Sunday, the day of days to King Jesus, who is the promise keeper and the fulfillment of the promise. So let's track the life of Moses. Let's find our promise in God that God made to Moses and he makes to us. And let's realize together that throughout all generations, God, you have been and are and will be our home. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you're going to say today. And I pray that you speak through me, that it's not my words or thoughts or father, even the pattern of my thinking or my speaking that brings your truth home to our hearts today. And I thank you for those that are watching. I pray, oh God, that you will speak to them, that they will depart this, this recording with your hope and your faith and your promise dwelling deep in their hearts. So thank you for what you're going to say. And we pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen. Now you can download your study guides. They're, they're available for you at a PDF form. You can take some notes down. Also, we have small group curriculum that's online that you can watch that's, in coupled, that's coupled with this talk that'll help you go deeper into this covenant promise of Moses. But let's look at the Mosaic covenant and see what God's saying to us about the promise of his presence and his power in, in our lives, that he is our home. First of all, let's ask this question. Who the heck was Moses? Who is Moses? Perhaps one of the most revered guys in all of scripture. In fact, Moses said this about himself. He was the most humble man on all the earth. Well, it kind of like negates the humility claim, right? When you claim yourself to be humble. But Moses wasn't using humility as we consider humility. He was using humility as humilitas or setting aside his rights and privileges for the good of others. If that truly is the measure of humility, then Moses perhaps was the most humble man on all the earth. He set aside his rights and privileges for the good of others. But Moses started off as a basket case. Okay, cue the laugh track. That's pretty bad. You know, in the basket of the Nile. Okay, you got that. But I could go on and on. In fact, we probably need to get a handle on this basket analogy so it doesn't weave its way through the rest of this sermon. But anyway, he was started off kind of in a perilous or precarious position. Let me read for you out of Exodus chapter two. In fact, we'll be in the book of Exodus and some in the book of Deuteronomy or Deuteronomy, the second law. This is what God says about who this guy Moses is. And the woman, that's Moses' mama, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she saw that he was a special child, so she kept him hidden for three months. Now, why in the world would she do this? Because the Hebrew children living in the land of Goshen in Egypt, now they had gotten there because of the famine in the land and Joseph being the, the, the second in charge of Egypt, being a Hebrew, he brought his family into to Egypt. 400 years they were there. God said this to Abraham that for 400 years they will sojourn in the land of Egypt and they had become slaves. Now they entered into the land of Egypt 
as chosen people, as people that were invited in and given the best land, the land of Goshen, the land fertile land there in the, the Nile Delta. And they were given that land and they had flocks and sheep and they grew cotton and whatever. And they were there in that beautiful land. In fact, the finest cotton in the world comes from the land of Goshen, Egyptian cotton comes from this land, this Delta region. And that's where the Hebrew children were. But the Assyrians overthrew the Egyptians and there came a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And this Pharaoh was Assyrian and he assumed the Egyptian Pharaoh title. And the Assyrians were brutal people. And so they enslaved the Hebrews instead of letting them live there in peace. As favored people, they turned into enslaved people. And there they lived in the land of Goshen, enslaved. And the Assyrians were afraid that the Hebrews were going to unite with the Egyptians that had been overthrown and overthrow them. And so they began to enslave them and persecute them. The Hebrews were multiplying at such a great rate that the Pharaoh, the Assyrian Egyptian Pharaoh, declared that all the babies must be killed, baby boys must be killed. And so they were killing the babies of the Hebrews, but Moses' mama preserved his life. Of course, you know the story. I said he started off as a basket case. She put him in a basket, floated him in the Nile River, hoping he would be discovered by the princess of Egypt. And she was, and he was, and she adopted him into her household. And then Moses' life, was changed because she was rescued. He was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. Now, how many of our lives changed because we were rescued? All of us. All of us. When Jesus comes and snatches us out of the perils of our own depravity and he puts us into the promises of his grace and mercy, we're all rescued. We're all adopted children. And so Moses has that in common with us that he was physically adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. But listen to me. Nothing escaped God's divine providence for Moses. His parents knew that he was a special child. How did they know that? Obviously, there was some kind of communion or conversation with God. He was from the tribe of Levi, which the tribe of Levi would become the priest or the representatives of God to men, God to the Hebrews. Moses was a special child, and he was preserved by an omnipotent, well-planning, all-knowing fully sufficient God. God had a plan. And so Moses entering into the life under Pharaoh's rule was trained as an elite Egyptian, educated in the art of war. There was no people group more superior than the Assyrians in the art of war. And Moses was trained as a general. Extra biblical material through Egyptian hieroglyphic records show that Moses actually led an army of the Egyptians against uh, the people of Ethiopia, or Cush at that time. Also, there's Ublas that indicate that Moses was actually in the promised land as an Egyptian general leading a battle at Megiddo, which is a place in the Holy Land, and that Moses was taking his people back to a place he'd already been. And that's amazing to me how God prepares leaders by taking them before the people to places he wants them to go. And God was intentionally building his life. I think his parents knew that this baby had a divine destiny. And so they held on this baby and they grew this baby and he grew up as a prince of Egypt. But as a prince of Egypt, he also knew the promise that God had made to Abraham because his parents had taught him about Abraham. Now you have to remember this, Moses was the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible. 
He gives us the Genesis narrative. He gives us the Exodus narrative. He gives us the, the other narratives of the five first books of the Bible. So Moses did at this time, did not know his history, but he knew that there would be a deliverer. How did he know? Because it was passed down, passed down, passed down. That Abraham had to tell Isaac and Isaac told Jacob that there would be a time of sojourning in a foreign land. And he knew that. And Moses knew that he was that deliverer, but he took matters in his own hands. And at the age of 40, he murdered an Egyptian and tried to cover it up. And taking matters into your own hands will always lead you to your own depravity. You see, desperation has two paths. It can lead to dependence upon God, which will lead to deliverance, or it can lead to depravity of your thinking, which leads to the debauchery of your behavior. And Moses chose that path, and he ends up being on the run. Now, in Acts chapter 7, it says this about Moses. It said, Moses was mighty in word and deed. Now, why in the world, at 80 years old, when the bush was burning, Moses would give an excuse to God that I'm not a man of speech? Why would he do that when the Bible says he was mighty in word and deed? Because he was like you and me. When sin sidelines us, we deem ourselves unworthy and unusable. And God says this, I am your God who restores you. Last week, I said this statement that hopefully resonated in your life. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Great is God's faithfulness. Your sin does not define you. Your God defines you. And God pulled Moses out of the sinful state. When Moses started to give these excuses, he felt disqualified because of his sin. But God steps into a person's life and empowers them with his divine assignment and he makes them qualified. So many times, good people who made bad decisions are sidelined because we in the church will not accept the fact that God is a work in the broken. I had someone say to me not long ago that we ought to take all the sinners and throw them out of the church. Well, guess what? You'd have to start with me. You have to start with me. God is not the one who segregates sinners, but he's the one who saves sinners and empowers sinners and uses sinners. Moses basically was just like us. He was a guy who made some bad choices, but he had a God of new beginnings. I love that. Love that. What was the situation of Moses' day and how does it parallel our day you know, I heard a pastor say this this past week that all the gods of America have died in the coronavirus. The god of busyness, the god of economy, the god of incessant entertaining, uh, the god of, of travel sports, the, the god of, of being preoccupied with all kinds of things, and now we're boiled down to the basics. I've talked to many pastors this week and found out that most every pastor I talk to the effectiveness of giving the gospel out has been doubled by us going online rather than in-person gatherings. I found that to be amazing. Even in our church, the gatherings online were double than the gatherings of the people who come in physical location, which says to me, God is resetting us. God is resetting the gospel. And I think about this. In one week in America, the gospel became twice as effective because of a coronavirus. You see, what Satan plans for evil, God always uses for good. God is always ahead of us in his preparation for us. 
Now, let me read for you in Exodus 3 about Moses and his adventure. Now, go and call all together the elders of Israel. This is 16 and 17 of chapter 3. Tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. This is Moses speaking. He told me, I've been watching closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from their oppression. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I look at this, and I realize that this promise was made to the Hebrew children. But you know what it's made to me? God says, I promise you I'm going to free you from your oppression, the oppression of sin and degradation. I'm going to free you from that. And I'm going to lead you to a place, a place of peace and hope, a place of milk and honey. Uh, many years ago, when I was pastoring Parkway Church down in Victoria, we were trying to find a piece of property to build our first church campus. In fact, that campus is in that place we picked those, uh, goodness, 20 years ago, uh, over 20 years, 25 years ago now, and that, that place. And, and I, I remember talking with the, the guys on the, on the build, on the land team, trying to find a piece of property. We found this 40 acres of property on the corner of John Stockbauer and Salem Road. Beautiful piece of property, two five-lane roads. Uh, it, it was actually almost 90 acres, and we only bought 40 of it. Probably bought 20 too many, but anyway, we had 40 acres because that was in the 90s and every church had to have a 40-acre campus just the way it was. I mean, that's what Bill Hybels had, what Rick Warren had. That's what you had to have anyway, had 40 acres. And I, I had a hard time convincing the guys on the team that this was the place until I pointed out that somebody had leased it for cattle so there were cattle on the property and somebody was raising honey and had beehives on the property, and I said to the team, can you not see this is the land of milk and honey? Well, that cheesiness on my part brought a convincing on their part, and we purchased that land, and that, that church building is located even there today, and it's been amazing. In fact, it's paid for, and the people of God still gather there, and some of you perhaps are watching a part of that family, which is amazing. You see, Moses was remembering there was a covenant promise made to Abraham. And Moses was telling his people that even though you have the situation that's led to your desperation, God has brought a deliverer to you and this is the time God will bring you out. And I wanna say this to you today, God knows your situation and God has a deliverance for you. Now some of you need physical help and we're here to help you. We're here to help you with, with food, we're here to help you with, uh, with encouragement, some of you lost your jobs, but we're here to help you because God has placed in his people, the church, the ability to help one another, to love one another. Church, this is our finest hour to step into the hearts and habits and hearts of people that we could do what for them what only God can do for us and in us and through us. And it's amazing. God knows all the situations of our life. He knows about the diagnosis. He knows about the heartache. He knows about the rebellion of your children. He knows about the condition of your marriage. None of this has caught God off guard. And in this situation that the Hebrew children found themselves in, there appeared to be no way out. But as Psalm 77 said, and he made a pathway for us through the sea, a pathway no one knew was there. And God opened the way for them to find an exodus. And it was led by a murderer, a tender of sheep, who also was a highly trained Egyptian general. God never wasted anything in our life. And Moses responded as Abraham responded, as Noah responded, 
by faith. By faith. Moses had faith. In chapter 4 of Exodus, you see Moses returning. And then Moses and Aaron, that's his brother, returned to Egypt and called the elders together. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses. What did the Lord told Moses? I've been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I promise to rescue you from the oppression of Egypt and I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. God promised Abraham, I will make you a father of a great nation. He promised Noah, I would never destroy you again. And he promised Adam, even though you've fallen in sin, I'm gonna liberate you through a redeemer. And he promised Moses to be the deliverer for the people caught in slavery. Although Moses had faith, he also struggled. He struggled with insignificance. He struggled with doubt. He struggled with discouragement. It was actually, uh, God even was on his way to kill Moses because Moses had made all these excuses. In Exodus chapter four, verse 24, you see that, that God had come to kill Moses and, and Moses' wife, Sephora, she interceded on Moses' behalf with, with a covenant of blood, the, the foreskin of her son, she, she put it at Moses' feet to say, God, remember your promise to Abraham. Remember your promise to Abraham. Don't kill this man because he is the deliverer. And she interceded on the behalf of, of Moses. You see, God wants his promises fulfilled. And sometimes our reluctance can lead to God's judgment. God's mercy is new every morning, every day. And so God relented. Moses' leadership proves that God can use anyone who believes. Because faith is the victory, not your ability is the victory. God can use anyone who chooses to believe. Moses had to act on his faith because he wasn't sure until he acted. I've said this to you before, and I'm going to say it to you again, that the will of God is often revealed in the obedience to God. How did I know I was supposed to be the pastor of First Baptist Wimberley? I didn't until you voted me in, and then I was obedient to put myself in position. You affirmed that through your positivity, and now I know that I'm here by the divine assignment of God because I had to act on that obedience. And so many times in my life, the crucible of faith is proven when I act on that faith and obey God and believe his promises. God says this to us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us, so let's live that way. God says this, and I'll give you power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's live that way. God says, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. Let's live that way. God says, no weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. Then let's live that way. God says, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous person avails much. Then Dead gummit, let's live that way. Live in the promises of God because God is trustworthy. And we show our faith by the way we act out on our faith. James said this, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is the pontification of our mouth. Faith that moves ourselves to obedience is the assurance of our lives. That's what God does. God answered, I will be with you. He said this to Moses in chapter three. I will be with you. This will be a sign that I'm the one who sent you. When you have brought these people out of Egypt, you will worship me at this very mountain. Whoa, wait, what? 
Yeah. God says, you're not going to know for certain it's me until you're back here. All that time in front of Pharaoh. Is this really God? All that time in splitting the Red Sea. Is this really God? All that time at the bitter waters of Myra. Is this really God? All this time when all these people were hungry and manna came. Is this really God? He didn't know for sure it was God until he was back at that mountain worshiping God. And at that mountain, God gave him the covenant. The Mosaic covenant, that's the covenant of law. And he obeyed God. Moses obeyed God. Even in the uncertainty. So Moses took his wife and son and put them on a donkey and headed them back to the land of Egypt. And in his hand, he carried the staff of God, which is the proof of the presence of God. All the resistance Moses had was followed up by his obeying. Moses set up with rigidity and the keeping of promises, and he kept following them. You see, this is what Moses did, and I heard this from a pastor not long ago. Moses learned these lessons. Moses learned to walk with the people, then he learned to walk in front of the people, then he learned to walk with God. He learned to walk with the people and then in front of the people and then walk with God. Because in that process of him becoming the leader God made him to be, God was giving him the covenant promise of who he is. God God gave Moses the covenant of the law. And here's the Mosaic covenant. I'm going to read this for you. You'll find it familiar. It's found in Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods beside me. Do not make idols for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in heaven or above, on earth below, or in the waters under the sea. Do not bow down to worship them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the father's iniquities to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You are to labor six days to do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord, your God. I guess we're experiencing Sabbath days here a lot lately because we're kind of quarantined. You're to labor six days to do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath for the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters, your male or female servants, your livestock, or the resident aliens who are within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and earth and sea and everything in them in six days, and he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land the Lord your God has given you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony against your neighbor, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or his female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Ten Commandments. Wow. Let me show you something in these Ten Commandments. We're not going to take time. That could be a whole series of talks. But there's five of these commandments that are directed towards God. And there's five of these commandments that are directed towards God's people. He says, these five things you point towards God. And these five things you point towards people. And what God is saying is what Jesus said. And the, all the law of the prophets are fulfilled in these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There's the Ten Commandments. Five towards God, five towards people. Love God. Love people. This law shows us that we can't do it. You can't. And the Mosaic law was given to us to reveal to us 
our desperate need for a God who would not give us laws written on tablets of stone, but would take these transcendent laws and place them in our hearts through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. We can't keep the covenant promise of Moses because it's too hard for us. We've been talking about in our leadership team meetings about dissecting the Beatitudes and this actually the whole Summer on the Mountain for you guys to give it to you in a blog post so you could kind of read through this together. But you know what the Sermon on the Mountain did that Jesus preached, that great sermon? It showed you how desperate we are for an indwelling power of God. Paul said it this way. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it weren't for the law. The law points out the fact that I'm a desperate sinner. For example, I would not even have known what it is to covet if the law didn't, didn't say, do not covet. Oh. So it comes to the place, well, Paul said this in Romans chapter seven, verse seven. It comes to the place, Paul said this, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? And he said, thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes the law and shows me how much I need Jesus that he gives me Jesus to transform me so I don't live in the legalism of the law. It's pretty incredible. And this is where we find our promise and where you find your promise, where we and where I do, where Moses found it. Moses found his promises in God. He found his promise in God. In Deuteronomy, at the end of Moses' life, it says this, there's never been another prophet in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and his servants. And Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of Israel. There's never been another prophet like Moses who the Lord knew face to face. Because he believed in faith and acted in obedience, he experienced God. Wow. I want to know God that way. And through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, when I whispered, Jesus, I'm yours, the indwelling Spirit of God lives in me and lives in you. It's, it's amazing to me. You see, Moses' life could have been measured by his failures, but it wasn't. Moses' life was measured by his faith and by him trusting God. How are you measuring your life? In these days of uncertainty, are you measuring your life on unobtainable things? How much stuff you have and that stuff's going away? Uh, what's the integrity with your kids like? And maybe that's being tried. I, I've heard of uh, parents who are now homeschooling. They're calling in for substitute teachers or have their kids transferred to another classroom. These are challenging days. You know, when we're squeezed, whatever's in us comes out of us. And maybe the pressure of this coronavirus is producing the opportunity to reflect on our inward character. Hmm. Moses was defined by God. That's why he says in Psalm 90, Lord, throughout all the generations, you have been our home. 
89 Aurora Street, Valparaiso, Florida, is not my home. 351 East Meadow Lane is not my home. My home's with Jesus. My home's with Jesus. And through all the generations, he will be my home. Is he your home? You see, you could try to measure your life by the keeping of legalism, or you could measure your life by the keeping of the one in faith who's loved you and drawn you and saved you and freed you from the slavery of sin to the life of freedom. Can you say with me and with Moses, Lord, you're my home. And then in turn, live in obedience by faith all for Jesus. I hope this helps. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what your word has said to us this morning or this afternoon or this evening, wherever, whoever's watching this video. And I pray, oh God, that we will embrace this truth that the covenant you gave to Moses that illustrated our desperate need for you will let us discover that we need you all along, that you are our home, you are the place for our heart to live. And one day we will live with you forever in the physical presence of heaven. But until that time, we're gonna live by faith and display it through obedience. Father, I pray for those who might listen who've never trusted you as Savior. And I pray, Father, that they will turn to you now and whisper this prayer, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I give you my life. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna claim your promise. You are going to be my home. Jesus, I'm yours. Father, for others who have gone cold and indifferent, I pray you draw them back to yourself. And God and all these promises will find them yes in Christ Jesus. So I thank you for what we've experienced and I pray this in your strong name, amen. I wanna to talk to you a second. If today you prayed with me and you received Christ, would you let us know just on, on this Facebook feed or wherever you're watching on our website, wherever you're watching, just drop us a note. We'll send you a Bible, some next steps. We'd love to walk with you. We have a whole video series on next steps, what it means to step into membership, what it means to step with and, and grow to be like Christ, what it means to step up and serve and what it means to step out and share. We'd love to share those things with you. We provide them all on online resources. You ain't got nothing else to do. You might as well cultivate your relationship with God and live all for Jesus in this season of isolation. Because one day we're gonna be free from this and we can continue to live by faith. We do these things because we love you. There's curriculum that goes along with this as I've said earlier in our time together. And I hope you'll take advantage of everything we're producing for God's glory and for your good. Why? Because we love you. So I'll see you again next week. God bless you.